that's yeah what I recall. Since I couldn't see anything, I was just really nervous about what you went through, and I remember trying to stand up and maintain my balance because I was a little bit more nervous at that point. And then asked Jamie, "Did you go through rocks?" And just her reply, "Yeah," and just heart sank right there because you were limp through the snow at the bottom, and just finally saw like what a little piece of like what you went through, and it was so ugly, really, really ugly. I know both you and Jamie and Alistair both kind of independently said that watching that crash, they both almost threw up. Oh, oh it's absolutely. Gross. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I hope I never have to watch something like that again. Yeah, it's the worst thing I've ever seen happen to a human being. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. By, by a huge margin. Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and today I am extremely happy to be alive and to be recording this podcast once again. As some of you now know, nine days ago on the 9th of July, which happens to be my birthday, I went out with six of my good friends on a ski tour on Independence Pass in Colorado. But what started as a fun day in the mountains with friends turned into something much darker. There was a bad accident, and I am very fortunate to be alive. But I am not exactly okay. I suffered a broken neck while tomahawking, unconscious, down a scree and boulder field. As you just heard my friends describe, it was a pretty grim situation. So I am sitting here recording this with a broken neck and a severely unstable cervical spine, and I undergo surgery this Thursday. I am extremely fortunate to be alive, and beyond fortunate to be able to walk and talk. The purpose of this episode is twofold. First, we wanted to get the details of the accident out, especially to the thousands of you who have contacted me expressing your concern. Thank you so much for that. Second, anytime there is an incident in the backcountry, it is imperative to go over the details of what happened. And so this podcast is a conversation with five of the seven of us who were out on Independence Pass that day. It is the first time we have all been together to talk as a group and to debrief. And our major hope is that you will take away some lessons that may keep you and your friends safer in the backcountry. This episode is a pretty tough one, but if you or anyone you care about spends any time in the backcountry or in wilderness areas, we hope you will take the time to listen. So as some of you now know, um, I was involved in a um, pretty serious accident uh, while ski touring on July 9th. And so what we want to do today is I have a number of the friends who were with me that day, um, and we want to talk about what happened. Um, and we, I want, frankly, to, this is kind of the first time since that day that I've had most of these this crew reassembled to debrief a bit about um, about what happened that day, about some of our decision-making, about some of the things we think we did well, about some of the things that 
we think we could have done a bit differently. And the bottom line is any time there is a, um, well, nearly fatal accident, um, it's only responsible to try to sit down and assess and go over the decision-making processes and, and that sort of thing. So the, the intention here is to, one, let you guys know um, what the hell happened out there. Um, but also, uh, the hope is that, I mean, truly, the hope is that some of you might um, maybe change a few things or think a bit differently about when you're out. Um, on a ski tour or mountain biking in a wilderness area or out climbing. Um, I think that there are lessons that can be learned and we've all learned a lot. And um, yeah, so that's what we're, that's what we're going to try to do today. Um, so with me here, uh, actually we'll start with um, the one person uh, here who wasn't out that day, our our, our strikingly handsome audio engineer, um, Justin Bob. Yeah, and my job here is to kind of ask questions from outsider's perspective. Um, having not been there, I have a lot of questions, and I have a different kind of perspective on why one person in the group had a first aid kit and why some were wearing helmets and others weren't. And just, I think being a ski patroller and being out in the mountains a bunch, I'd see complacency in all sorts of different areas of activities. And to no fault, complacency is something we all do, but that's going to be kind of my angle for asking questions. Why suddenly, with a season change, decision-making can be so affected. Yeah. And not to say there were bad decisions, but... That's why these things are called accidents. Yeah. Uh, so sitting across from Justin is actually uh, Justin's sister, uh, Jamie Autumn Bob. And um, Jamie was out with us that day. Um, Jamie, what do you do for a living? Uh, I am a nurse. I'm a cardiac nurse at the moment. So... Yeah, I've had, but I've had experience on ski patrol as well, um, and I haven't worked in the ER for a very long time. But I, at one point, was a certified trauma nurse, so I've had some experience. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Sitting next to Jamie is Alistair McMullen. Uh, Alistair, a uh, former roommate of mine. Uh, what, what more? The can horror. You... The horror. <laughs> 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 Alistair lived in a very small apartment with me with two very large dogs and like 70 pairs of skis. <laughs> There's always skiing to escape too, so yeah. it was all right. <laughs> um, and so Alistair has just been a friend for I don't even know how many years and uh, is one of the people that I end up skiing with sort of all the time. Uh, whether we go up to the mountain together or not, it's like bump into Alistair. And, uh, yeah, so he was out with us, um, that day on, on what would have been a very ordinary tour, right? Like the kind of thing we do all the time. Um, so he's going to be, uh, weighing in a little bit on this too. Next to Alistair is Nate Murray. Uh, 
Nate is married to Jamie Autumn Bob. And Nate, what is it that you do? Um, so I'm currently sort of a full-time uh, medical student. And um, before that, I have been... Uh, I've worked as a paramedic for several years um, and uh, volunteered with several sort of wilderness medicine entities and search and rescue teams around the state. Cool. And then next to Nate is Peter Vigneron. Uh, Peter and I have known each other, I don't know, at least... I don't know. Five? Yeah, I was going to say like four or five years. Four or five years. Um, Peter does a lot of freelance writing, um, a lot of running. Uh, And then uh, he's another one that I end up bumping into a lot on the mountain and we uh we end up uh getting to ski a decent amount but usually in bounds right we haven't i don't know i don't know if we've ever toured together we've definitely toured before but like like ski santa fe all right in bounds yeah 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 yeah. um so peter was out that day and um uh played kind of an important role in a in a in a frankly kind of an odd way that you'll hear more about um so, um, our friends, um, Pat Sinat and Kristen Green, um, aren't here today. They're actually in New Hampshire, but those were the only two other folks out there with us on that day and wish those two, um, wish those two were, were here. Um, Pat was actually the first person, I guess, uh, to get to me as I was knocked out unconscious face down, um, back on snow at that point. Um, so when I did finally come to, I remember coming to and seeing Pat. Um, but, uh, anyway, so I think from there then let's, let's get into this. Um, you know, uh, and I guess I'll just kind of start. I mean, uh, so it was July 9th, um, which actually happens to be my birthday. Uh, so yeah, I almost died on my birthday, but didn't go into the day with that intention um, we had gone to a beer festival the day before, um, in Salida, uh, got to hang out with a bunch of the same folks who are, you know, here now, uh, and then camped out, uh, next to the Arkansas river, which was gorgeous. Um, and then woke up Sunday morning around 6 30 AM or so. And, um, I was psyched. I mean, wake up on your birthday next to a be- beautiful river and go skiing with your friends. Um, and it, it really, I can't stress this enough. Like there was no, no sense that we were going to go do some big objective for the day. I mean, this was, um, everybody in the group skis a ton. Um, this was a mellow, fun summertime ski. That's kind of what we had in mind. Um, so we met the friends, um, met up at the top, kind of got the cars up at the top of Independence Pass, um, got ready and ended up just walking among all the tourists who were also up there who were kind of like walking over to us like we were, you know, like penguins in the Antarctic or like, what are you guys doing with all this ski equipment? (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, we're just going to hike over and go ski some of these lines on the, on the other, you know, the backside. Um, and we had a super easy, like, we just hiked over on dry land. Um, what? It was, uh, was it a 30-minute? 30 30-minute 30 yeah. hike? I would say 30 minutes. Yeah. That sounds right. 
I guess I should say before before that, when we got to the top of Independence Pass, Pat, Kristen, and I took a drive down and around to kind of look at some of the the potential lines that we could ski. And just to clarify, this is on the west side of the pass, the Aspen side right. of the pass. Yeah. Yep. yep. On those north facing. Yep. Yep. And um, so I don't know about. <laughs> five to ten minutes of driving pretty quick we saw pretty clearly what looked like the obvious line you know there was kind of two prominent patches of snow quite close to each other and you know it's like that's what we're gonna ski you know one of those and um saw that we're psyched it looked good um no question that you know as happens when it's july um there was a kind of prominent strip of snow surrounded by a ton of rock. Absolutely. But they were solid strips of snow. There was yeah, no, yeah. nothing in, in between, really. It yeah. was a good, solid shot to the bottom. Looks like it drained right down yep. to where the snow field started out there. Was that part of the decision-making for finding those patches that were like the biggest patches of yes. the best? Was it like kind of tunnel vision? Like you get up there, you see them and you're like, we need to go to those. Yes, for sure. For sure. Right. There was that, two... I'm seeing different faces. Well, I'm just... I, I, I'm <laughs> well, sorry. they weren't in the car. I wasn't in the car. Yeah, yeah but I'm, I'm thinking about how I was evaluating like whether or not it was a good idea to go just leave from the cars. Yeah. And par- part of what I was thinking is that it was Pat and Kristen who had been up there a couple weeks earlier mm-hmm. who had done some skiing off Independence Path Pass. And um, I consider Pat and Kristen to be like very sort of like sober, responsible people when they make ski decisions. Um, not that I don't consider Jonathan, but I just like I know Pat and Kristen's kind of way of thinking about things. And I just didn't. They were like, "Yeah, that looks great." Mm-hmm. Not like we're going to get rowdy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was like, if they think it's good to go, I'm yeah. sure it's good to go. The, gotcha. the the three of us in the car, it was like that, and we just got really excited. And again, th- these were not like heavy looking lines it was just like that looks awesome we want to ski that this is it 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 was the obvious call it was they were kind of two big patches next to each other and the plan was you know we were then just gonna we drove back up to where our friends had parked on the top of independence pass and we were just going to walk over off the top ski down and then we were going to have you know, a, a, a hike out, you know, like a hike out down to the road. And we were just going to hitchhike back up, you know, back up independence pass, get our car, you know, get a car at the top. Um, so, so you guys find the line, you hike to it. Yep. We walked out easy and you all skied at once. Yeah, so this so that's I think an important thing to say. So we you know we get to the top of this line, and and I mean you know look like to keep full disclosure, I mean freaking Kristen Green with like <laughs> loves to shoot her dance videos, right? And so uh, if Peter just got done talking about, and these two things are true, right? <laughs> while while Pat and Kristen are what did you call them? Sort of sober, responsible yeah. decision makers. Kristen is also our friend who always, you know, drags out the video camera and insists that we dance like morons, you know, to, to whatever song she is inflicting upon us. And, um, you know, look, it was, it was summer and it was fun and we were out with friends and we were definitely like having a good time. 
Um, you know, from there though, every it was nice. Everybody was like, "Hey, it's your birthday. You get to drop this line first. And I was like, "Hell yes!" Like I was super excited about that. Um, sorry, could I could I interject something here at this point before we sort of start skiing? I think, I don't know if I speak for everyone else, but for those of us that were kind of at the cars and didn't go scope the line, thinking back on this personally, I don't think that my mindset was, you know, like, what is the risk assessment? My mindset was, are we even going to get to ski? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was more about sort of assuming that it's all going to be safe because it's 80 degrees out and sunny in July. Yeah. And the real question was, like, are we even going to ski because of all these things? Like, it's warm out and it's July. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of wanted to interject that. Like, I think, at least for me personally, given the dancing and the easy hike in and the shuttle, it all sort of fit this picture of, like, this is an easy day. Yeah, for sure. This is a day where I didn't feel like (laughs) we had to really think about risk assessments, to be honest. Mm Mm-hmm. So back to, you know, we shoot our stupid little dance video. Um, That's mandatory. Well, yeah, it is mandatory (laughs) with our group. Um, I I mean, I know that. You're right to point that out. That was your favorite part. Just admit it. And so, you know, the friends are like, it's great, right? They're like, hey, it's your birthday, man. You get to go first. And I was psyched about that. And um, so I got on top of the line and there was a little bit of like a rollover at the top which honestly was about the like literally the only thing looking at on that line where you're like okay um let's let's just be cautious on that and then honestly I was the first one on snow and so of course you know I my antenna were up I definitely when I got on that line I was like I don't know how punchy and grabby this snow is I don't know if there's huge sinkholes in the middle of this. I don't know if there's rock everywhere. Um, and so dropping in was not this casual, like it, it, I, whatever you want to say, it was a little bit like, so you were assessing risk as you were about to drop in for sure. You were like the, honestly, mostly, mostly my only concern was the snow quality. And if it was going to get really weird, grabby snow that could end up kicking you, um, you know, that that was honestly the only... And, and did you consider the, all the rocks surrounding this patch of snow as, like, the main hazard? Like, if I fall on this weird snow... No, I mean, uh, on, honestly, no. It, it was mm-hmm. just... What I would say about this is, like, if I, if I... Any of us, right? Like, where we tend to ski most of the time, this run would have been categorized basically as like extremely mellow or mellow. Like we ski heavier stuff all day long mm-hmm. in West Basin. All all day long. Yeah. Um and so it was mostly about, you know, don't get don't get into funky snow in the summer and like twist a knee, kick a kick a shoe, something like that. Um I just wanted to make sure that was my biggest concern, honestly. And even if I had slid, I mean, like, but you had a concern. I guess that's the point. I'm yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, but so from there, like, I got three to four turns in on the snow, and I remember, like, giving the like, woohoo, you know, like yelling back up. It was great. It was better than I thought it was going to be, and so was just signaling back to the group, like, this is sweet. And um, 
I skied down, got to the bottom of the line, and then was waiting on all the friends to ski down. Um, and all the friends skied down uh, without a single issue. And everybody was psyched. And the only thing I knew at the bottom was I wanted to go back up. Some of the friends snowboarded down. Nate, Nate snowboarded down. There we go. Yeah. Um, so we get we get to the bottom um, without incident, and and I I was pretty vocal about like I want to do that again. I I don't know that anybody in the group objected to that. I think everybody was kind of on that page. It was all high fives and mm-hmm. smiles. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so we started. Interestingly, I mean, so we started up i think peter were you leading the boot pack mm-hmm. pat was second i was third mm-hmm. and so everybody went back up same boot pack everybody yeah. went back up same boot pack um did you guys go back up intro now well generally well so jamie alistair and i kind of all pulled over maybe three quarters of the way up yeah um right before kind of the last like the breakover when it got a little steeper because um. we yeah I think at that point we had seen a couple of you guys sliding here and there I, like, yeah so I had slipped yeah. a little bit and I yeah, going and up the it was getting going quite the steep back, yeah. and yeah. soft snow yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, time it was weird it was, uh, it was 11 at that it was point. 11 15 at that point okay. um, we were on a pretty that was like an almost due north aspect I, mm-hmm. I, I want to say yeah, um, yeah. But so I was, so that it was, the snow was firm. It was like this, it was great. It was this like maybe two, three inch yeah. layer of like, I don't know if I'd say it was corn. Yeah, slush probably. And then it was pretty firm underneath. Yeah. So once you get your boot into it on the boot pack, it was fine. But it took a good bit of effort and concentration to make sure that your boot was going in the right way. And yeah, I, yeah. Definitely, I definitely slipped. I don't know the names. I think everyone did. Yeah. At some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a little bit worried step. about like the top section where it did have that rollover and had a little bit more steepness to it. Yeah. So I was like, mm-hmm. eh, maybe I'll pull off here. Yep. And it was less of a perch than I thought it was going to be uh, by the time I got over there. But it, it did seem stable there. I mean, I didn't want to move too much in the screen at all. But Yeah, uh, you're in, I so you're in, yeah. You're in so, the rocks, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so to be clear, Nate, Alistair, and Jamie ended up peeling off at a 90 degree angle skiers, skiers right mm-hmm. of the boot pack about six ten feet maybe yeah yeah and so and and by the way i think i want to talk but about sitting on rocks at that point so so that yeah so they they went over and were like perched out on these rocks the thing i want to talk about I think is because there was concern at that point you know there was a little bit of we were thinking about, ooh, well, it is kind of a little sketchy here, and what if we did slide? I mean, I didn't think of, had I slid, what would occur beyond that point, but I was feeling a little unsteady, so we decided to pull over and take also, pictures. And, and that was communicated, we, like, this is I, I feeling weird. I think there was weird. a level of discomfort that yeah. a few of us had well, felt. Well, so there, were, there was the group... Um, the sort of front group with Peter and Jonathan and Pat and Kristen and Alistair, Jamie and I were maybe 15 to 20 feet behind, but just enough so it was kind of a different two groups. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like just barely. Um, But I think for whatever reason, our group kind of was, and maybe that's why we were 10 or 15 feet behind because we weren't quite as like gung-ho and motivated just in general. And I think we all kind of decided like hey this is good like it'll be fun below here like it's fine i don't yeah 
And it was also a good perspective on getting everybody from the top, too. So, uh, the By the way, I, I do want to back up for a second. Like, I want to talk about that boot pack itself. And again, when like we, you know, we live in New Mexico. We we all ski a, a bunch at Taos, and like we ski a lot of steep terrain all the time. So the this slope that we're talking about and that we were on, it was probably in like the, you know, obviously the you're going to have a slope change at some point, but in the kind of 39 to 40 degree range-ish um, is about what I would say. So that is not qualified as steep to us, but obviously it depends a little bit on what you're used to. Um, yeah, I thought it was steep. I thought it was quite yeah. steep. Well, and it's all relative, right? Like if you it's, were there on that same shot in the middle of winter with fresh powder, your risk assessment yeah. would be different. It'd probably feel a lot steeper. You'd be worrying about avalanches. Yeah. This is summer. Yeah. So the meat and bones of kind of going out in summer is like your guard gets down a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of so that complacency. Like we can go out in shorts and the, but that's the kind only, of tangential. But the only thing, two things I want to say though that I think are important. One. I did take my helmet off for the boot pack up. I skied that line first, got to the bottom, and it's a hot day. So I took my helmet off, took my goggles off, was you know was going to be waiting for six more people to come down after me. So I had a baseball hat on and sunglasses to to go boot pack back up. So. As you know from some of you have seen that picture, I did have a helmet on in that crash, and we'll get to that. But point is, I think a lot of people do this, where they'll peel off a helmet and they'll climb in a hat or whatever. And, you know, I think, but because of that, you know, when we were setting that boot pack, again, for me, the, the antenna was back up. We didn't know, you know, it was like we were working a bit to kick in and and create a staircase up. So that was not casual for me. I I don't, I don't know what everybody else's headspace was, but that was like, dude, you haven't been here before. Right. And so like caution. Um, now having said that, right. You know, Peter ran up first. Pat was right behind him. I was right behind Pat and it was we were we were talking about like we were breathing heavy, like that was a it, so yeah like there was some pitch to it and and um, we were not you know uh, that was not a super casual thing so yeah there was some pitch to it but but on that boot pack like I was thinking about like don't slip feet you know we get to the top and you know now we're clicking all in, I put my helmet back on, and was I, you dropped before me, the yeah. second run? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, so I dropped in, um, Kristen set up for a sweet photo, I did like a hop turn over the, <laughs> over the, uh, the rollover, and it's like the sweetest ski picture anybody's ever taken of me. <laughs> um, and then I, ski, I skied fairly aggressively to the bottom, um, and got to the, the very of the uh, the snow patch that we were skiing on and turned around and started taking off my gear. I took off my skis and my boots and put on running shoes and um, I have this big floppy straw hat so I took my helmet off and put that on too. 
and then waited for the next person to descend, which was you. Yeah. So then I went next, and um, yeah, dropped the line, and remembered, you know, had Nate and Alistair and Jamie, you know, sitting down, skiers right, and you know, look, it's it's blister, right? And like we are constantly, like I was on a new pair of skis that day, and you know, these guys kind of know the drill when we're out skiing. It's like, you know, photos that we're going to put up on the site are always useful. And so I'm sitting there skiing and these guys are like shooting some photos on phones or whatever. And I remember I, something got weird on the snow and I like screwed up a turn basically. And like, whatever, no big deal. But I was like, ah, crap. Like I, I, I think I may have screwed that photo up. And, um, so kind of pulled over, stopped, and then was just waiting and felt like I had waited for a couple minutes and wondered why Pat and Kristen weren't coming down. And they, they were, there was that rollover at the top of the run. So I didn't, I couldn't see them and didn't hear what was going on. And I was kind of just standing there. It felt like four or five minutes And finally, I was like, well, I don't know what they're doing, but I'm going to run back up the boot pack and, like, you know, at least get back up to where, like, Nate and Alistair and Jamie are and I can, like, make a few more turns again because right now I'm just sitting here standing there. So I do run back up that boot pack and now I am going to go over to where Nate and Alistair and Jamie are hanging out So I'm shouldering my skis, right? Skis are off, run up the boot pack. I get onto the little side hill that they had kind of kicked in. It was a pretty ugly side hill, to be honest. Um, And to be honest, like, was coming over and, you know, Jamie was like, hey, let me get your picture. And like, I kind of stopped for a second and, you know, we were, you know, she took a picture and then I was just like walking over to them. And at that point, I don't know if if Nate and Alistair and Jamie have a different, saw something different, but it basically felt like I took a, I was side hilling, took a downhill step and the snow just kind of blew. Like it had gone sort of more isothermal at that point and felt like I kind of blew my downhill boot, downhill foot. Without a ski, you were walking at this point? Yep. Shouldering skis. Yep. And I'm not going to lie, like at that point, I like slipped and was kind of surprised. But honestly, like, frankly, the terrain, I guess, compared to the stuff that we are accustomed to skiing, this still felt like I was in no big deal territory. And I sort of thought this was going to be one of those things where like, you, you know, you slide a couple feet and then you just kind of come to a stop in four or five feet. So I I did not, like, to be clear, I did not fall and immediately, like, go code red, you know, like, dig in, fight as hard as hell to self-arrest. I thought it was a little more casual than that. Except I didn't stop in those four to five feet, and now suddenly, like, some speed is built up. And frankly, even at that point, it was like, okay, time to, like, kick in and self-arrest. 
And, um, and that didn't go according to plan, you know, like, like we talked about, it actually was pretty firm under a couple inches of slush. And I wasn't kicking in as easily as I thought I would have. So I know a couple of you guys have said as I was sliding that there was a moment where it like, oh, cool. Like it looks like he, he caught it. I don't know if that's accurate. Um, that was what I was thinking. Um, I didn't really see the potential for the kind of fall that you took there. And after you lost it there, I thought, oh, no, not a problem here. It's soft. He'll be able to grab back in. And you near, it looked like you nearly stopped it and then gained some speed after that. That's where I really got concerned. Went out of my sight. Yeah. And I didn't see you till like, limp at the bottom, like, going back through the snowfield. So I missed out on the rocks completely yeah. until after um, realized what happened. Yeah, so, so what I saw is you slipped. I heard you kind of yell, like, oh, fuck. Um, and then I saw you trying to self-rest a little bit. My concern actually initially was that there was a ski above you, like, nuking down after you. And yeah. I, I yelled, watch out for the ski. And then it looked like you almost were able to slow yourself down or get control of yourself. And then you weren't. And then at that point, um, I don't know if, I don't know why, but that was when you, it was really soon after that that you started tumbling. Um, had tomahawking or, or ragdolling and you ragdolled um, a few times in the snow and then you went over um, the cliff which was like a 8 or 10 foot high snow drop off into rocks is how I would describe it um, and the ragdolling in the snow was really scary um, it looked like that was going to do some pretty serious damage and then when you went over the cliff and into the rocks it looked like that was going to be um, potentially fatal or, or definitely very serious damage. Um, and my memory is that after you came through the rocks, you were limp um, and you kind of slid across the snow a little bit. But as soon as I saw you come through the rocks, um, I grabbed my pack and started going uphill pretty fast. So I wasn't paying super close attention to what was going on with you yeah. as you were starting to slow down and stop. What was? Did you guys have anything to add about... And I, I think to try to set this up for people listening. So as I'm, as I'm sliding, I am on the far skier's right side of the run. And again, we're talking about, we are skiing a patch of snow with massive rock, you know, zero snow whatsoever to the right, zero snow to the left. And as I was trying to like, basically what I felt like was when I, I had enough speed and when I tried to like, heel in or toe in I don't honestly remember like like what point it bounced me you know and so rather than bring me to a stop it kind of bounced me out and then I was fairly screwed well and and where you fell because you were going toward the side of the run there was a small area of snow um, or a small part of the run that instead of sort of funneling down into the kind of the run out area that had snow there was a small part of the run that kind of the fall line broke over to skiers right and toward the cliff that you ultimately went over. Um, And so there was a little bit of that that played into it where you found yourself in this really odd place where um, you were above a just small part of the run where, or the, the patch of snow 
where the fall line was going to take you not into the run out, but over like into the scree field, basically. Yeah. And that breakover became also very steep because it almost had sort of a bit of a cornice shape to it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember flying over the, what it looked to me like a wind lip. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I remember flying through the air over that thing and thinking like this, you know, this landing is going to be real, not good. Um, and then slammed hard and pretty much lost consciousness at that point. And the, honestly, like this past week, the, the friends that we've been talking about it, um, how many times I tomahawked or ragdolled at that point, like I don't, you know, Peter was saying he thought it was kind of six to eight revolutions through. And at that point, frankly, I'm glad I probably don't know or don't remember but it was heavy um it was heavy well and i think at that point where i was and i don't know if it's different from you two but i think once you went over that wind lip we lost sight of you until you made it back out onto you actually ended up back onto snow because this patch dog legged and so i think at that point peter was the only one that actually saw that part of your fall I definitely saw him tumble like in I've in my memory I feel like it was at least three times that I saw you tomahawk, if you will, three full somersaults through the rocks. And then that's yeah, what I recall. Since I couldn't see anything, I was just really nervous about what you went through and I remember trying to stand up and maintain my balance because I was a little bit more nervous at that point and then asked Jamie, did you go through rocks? And just her reply is yeah, and just heart sank right there because you were limp through the snow at the bottom and just finally saw like what a little piece of like what you went through and it was so ugly really really ugly I know both you and Jamie and Alistair both kind of independently said that watching that crash they both almost threw up oh Oh, absolutely yeah um. Yeah, I hope I never have to watch something like that again. Yeah, it's the worst thing I've ever seen happen to a human being. Yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. By by huge marking. Wow. I hadn't heard that before. Definitely in person, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just seeing your buddy limp, <laughs> like hundreds of feet down, just just completely flaccid lifeless just lying face down in the snow i mean it was viscerally upsetting absolutely i was afraid of yeah what we would ski down to and that's when nate said you know you told me after the fact you said i just i thought you were dead at that point yeah I, I at least thought that was a very real possibility. Yeah. I guess I just want to get, <clears throat> having not been there, a better sense of what you guys were thinking after you just saw this. Was your initial reaction to get your skis on and go down to the scene right away, real quick? That kind of like emergency mode, we're going, and like what happened, what were you guys feeling? And what actually happened, like, who showed up at the bottom? 
Pat skied down quite fast. Uh-huh. And actually, you can see in pictures of the slope after the accident. He from the top. From the top. He didn't mm-hmm. take many turns. Yeah. yeah. He, he ripped yeah. it down and immediately hopped off the skis and just had this big, like, kind of hug around you. And it just didn't look good at that point. Um, yeah. it, it was a few seconds, maybe a few minutes before I saw any activity down there. And we were kind of assembling. We didn't have um, anything on our feet at that point there. And I was immediately thinking, well, um, what do I do? Like, <laughs> I had no idea what's my approach to like, how do I even assess a buddy down there and knew, all right, we got to get the two medical folks down there. Like first thing, that's, that's the only chance we got here. So, so I think it was then Kristen came down second. Um, and then I had hiked up by that point pretty shortly after Kristen came down. Um, and so, um, by so that, Peter, you just started booking out of there. Yeah. Was, to go get help. No, 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 no. I was booking towards you with my, with my backpack on. I left my skis and boots at the bottom of the run. Um, so I got there. It's funny that you don't remember that. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I got there and Pat was there. Kristen was there. I think one of them had taken your helmet off. Um, and so my, so my, I went into like, um, I was trying to remember my medical training, limited though it was. Um, so the, the first three things are, um, check for an airway. Um, and you were talking, so I thought you had a pretty good airway. Um, and then to see if there were any difficulties with your breathing. Um, your chest was rising and falling pretty, pretty well. Um, it didn't seem like you had any pain when you were breathing in and out. So I thought your, your breathing was really, relatively good. I didn't touch you or do any assessment to your chest. Um, and then the third thing I saw was that there was some blood in your pants, um, in your hands. And so I was worried about a circulation problem. Um, and pretty quickly became confident that you weren't like bleeding out or anything like that. Um, and I, I talked to Kristen about that briefly. And then at that point, partway through my assessment, um, Nate showed up. Nate is quite a bit more experienced than I am. And so I sort of turned things over to, to him to run the, run the scene. So how, what's the best guess for how long I was unconscious for? 20 or 30 seconds at most. Not long. No. I, I, I remember looking up when I was hiking up towards you and you had, you were conscious at that point. So I don't think you were out for very long. That's my guess. So then Nate, poor Nate, dear Lord. And this is, yeah, I mean, this is like, we talked about this on the Woofer podcast that we did, which every one of you, seriously, like if you have not listened to that or felt like that you don't need to worry about wilderness first responding stuff, the biggest thing I want to try to convey today is this was not some gnarly mission. This was like just a fun ski day with friends, you know, and we talked about this a bit on that Wolfer podcast, but guess what? When you are the most medically trained person, everybody just turns and looks at you and you have to start making decisions that if you it, like, it doesn't, if it's like, Hey, I, I don't feel like I want to make that decision right now. It's like tough luck. That's a shitty thing to do to your friend. That's a really shitty thing to do or to put them in that position. And it's like, that's where Nate kind of found himself. 
So, Nate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so sort of once I saw you come to this, come to a stop uh, in the uh, on the ski slope below the scree. Um, you know, when you see anyone, especially your friend, go through something like that, you know, in a weird way, like time speeds up and creating memories sort of slows down. You, you sort of get into that adrenalized state of mind. Um, but I do remember trying to say something to Jamie and Alistair along the lines of, you know, slow down, be careful, get your skis on, we'll meet at the bottom. Because a lot of times, you know, the, the way that these kind of things, bad though they are, can get much worse yeah. is when things spiral, especially very early yeah. in the process. Um, and so I got my board on and remember sort of getting down to you riding pretty conservatively. Um, and at that point, once I got to you, it was, um, Peter, uh, uh, Kristen and Pat. And at that point you were sitting up and Peter's assessment was totally accurate. You know, like you're talking, um, you know, you didn't seem to be having trouble with your breathing and you didn't seem to be sort of bleeding in such a way that would sort of kill you in the next couple minutes. Um, and so at that point, um, there was initially a sigh of relief because that was much more than I thought that, um, that we were going to ski up to, um, <clears throat> without going into too many medical details, cause I don't think that that's really the point here. Um, sort of, I repeated all the things that Peter did very appropriately and, um, also sort of reassured myself that you weren't, um, you know, dying of any of those things, anyway, breathing circulation in the next couple minutes. And then, um, it was also very clear that you had at least, um, some sort of head injury at that point, you know, you knew your name, you didn't know sort of anything else about what was going on, what state we were in. Um, and so it was pretty clear that you had at some, some sort of concussion. Um, and so at that point we kind of slowed down and Peter and I had a talk and we started the process of, um, kind of deciding how we were going to, um, further assess you, but also get this group of, um, six people to get you out of the backcountry. Yeah. By the way, I'm going to pause for one sec. Um, one thing, you know, so, so two things here. One, I, I said before this is lost, when we put that boot pack in, I put my helmet on my backpack and booted up in a baseball hat. If I had fallen on that boot pack, the first one, the first one, or if that second time, if I had run up the second time and fallen, I don't think any of you think I'd be alive if I didn't have that helmet. I like. I don't think any of you remotely think. No. No. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, who knows? But I think it is very safe to say you wouldn't be talking coherently with your friends, making a podcast, and editing you know, the world's best gear review site. So, yeah. And I just, I honestly just keep looking at that puncture on that helmet and think, 
whatever rock punctured straight through, like sliced that helmet, that's what would have hit the side of my head. And like, I'm, I'm wagering nothing that like I survived that or I'm a vegetable. Those are your two. Um, and, and the biggest thing that I think I'm going to think about now is again, I was being cautious that first time up that boot pack. Um, was being careful, but so what? I mean, I think the bigger thing for me thinking about is not like, I'm going to be careful now, so I'm cool. I think the bigger thing is, what is your exposure when you're putting in a boot pack? What happens if I slide on this? Where do I end up? And, you know, if it's the middle of winter and the answer is, well, I like slide down a nice, like snowy couloir to the bottom, that's very different. So Nate and I chatted, I remember being pretty quick. Um, I, I, so I ran up and tried to yell at you guys to try to get you to stay closer to the top of the run um, because I was concerned that somebody be close to the top in case we needed to go get cell signal or something like that. It didn't seem to me like you guys had cell signal. Um, so I came back down when I came back down, I realized that you were asking the same question over and over again, which is what, what happened. And I realized that that is like a really common sign of a head injury. And so then Nate and I had a quick chat when I, and that was when I was like, all right, it seems like his level of responsiveness is diminished. Um, we're pretty far away from help. Um, it seems like the prudent thing right now, um, it would be to go just like make a call and, and I don't think there's, I mean, we didn't really have to discuss it that much. Um, and so we talked quickly about my, my plan, which was to grab my pack, which had my car key, um, leave my first aid kit with Nate, um, and then just try to get out and get cell signal as, as quickly as I could. Um, knowing that if I didn't get cell signal at the top of the pass, I was probably gonna have to drive, um, towards Aspen, um, which is what happened. Yeah, I mean, I remember that being one of the easier decisions of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, given the way you were talking, Jonathan, it seemed quite possible that you would, you know, from there deteriorate and become much worse if you had had a, a worse head injury. And so I think that was, um, yeah, exactly what we needed to do was to sort of try to get as many resources to you as fast as possible at that point until we knew more. Yeah, and just so everybody's like clear about what I was thinking, which is like worst case scenario is you have a very severe head injury. There's going to be swelling in your brain. Um, you have potentially like a very short window of time where you might, if we don't get you to an emergency room, you might die. Like I thought it was possible that you were going to die or sustain like a permanent brain injury just sitting on the side of the hill. Absolutely. That's what I was worried about as well. Now, was there any decision making, like any worry about, all right, going up versus going down? Yeah, we did talk about that a little bit. Um, and I, I just I just thought, so two things. One is that I actually thought I'd be quicker going up. Um, and then two, I knew that there's a vehicle at the top of the pass. And I was worried that if I got down to the road, I was just going to be at the road with no cell signal and like trying to hitchhike. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to do that. Yeah. And at this point, uh, Peter had already gone up and yelled to you two to kind of hang out. And that was part of the process too. Like our initial thought was, okay, they're higher up, they can go for help. Yeah. Um, but then we had sort of, there was 
for you guys to go back out, it was either back up the boot pack where Jonathan had slid or kind of this gnarly scree slope. Whereas from where we were, Peter had a more, it was still a gnarly scree slope, but it was, it was less. It looked totally, it looked doable. It looked yeah. hard, but doable. And so this was part of our conversation about like, is it better to send you guys? Is it safe? Is it not? And I think I was concerned about seeing what happened to Jonathan, asking you guys to go back up, you know, the steepest part of the boot pack that we stopped before. And then one final concern that I that I had um, was that I had, so I had been on the scene. I'd seen, I knew I'd seen all of the fall. I knew some of Jonathan's symptoms, and I was really confident that I could make a pretty good report to EMS. And I wasn't sure. Just like we could, we were having trouble communicating. No, with all EMS. I heard was maybe something about a phone. Yeah, and check phones. Yeah, we both didn't have service. Yeah, that's not happening here. So what's the next step? So. Yeah. But that so, was, I was pretty impressed with, you know, that attempt at communication and, you know, you've got to have clearly defined roles and you all just kind of immediately went to that. And Well, and I think that's a fascinating thing to get just briefly into the group dynamics. You know, even though, you know, you say, oh, you know, if your buddy who you're out with is the most medically trained person, it's going to fall on them to be sort of the decision maker. There is this sense of, you know, you hit the ground and stop moving and then all of a sudden like all of our roles in this skiing group were very plastic yeah like we were suddenly in this process like maybe i was fortunate to be the only one that and maybe jamie too um whose roles were assumed to be medical and everyone else it seemed like was figuring out in a group with some challenging communication because of you know distance how how this group was going to function. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't, we haven't talked about this at all, um, but how, how real or, or, you know, how much of a concern, how great of a concern was the, okay, great, he survived this, but are we going to have brain swelling or is he going to, like the sense of maybe we have five minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes. Was that actually not that great of a concern or was that? So to answer that question, I don't know if it's mine to answer, but that concern was extremely real that we have something on the order of minutes or, or even half an hour or an hour. But the reality of wilderness medicine, even being a couple miles from a road was that the fastest that anyone other than us was going to get to you was going to be two to three, maybe four hours. Yeah. And so at a certain point, like, yeah, that concern was really real, but we also didn't have anything else to do other than to send Peter for help and get help as fast as we could. But we understood, I think, I at least understood from, from my history with Search and Rescue that, you know, that was a game plan that revolves, that that deals with hours, not minutes. Let's get back to the narrative. So Peter takes off Mm -hmm. to go get help, and I am still perseverating and kind of sitting upright and still super fogged out. Like, I I don't know what, I don't know what's going on at all. Um, so when did we, 
how quickly, and Nate, you kind of touched on this, like we were three to four hours out if we were going to sit there and wait for medical care to get to where we were. And so... So at that point, you know, in my thought process, you know, it's going to take Peter an hour at best to get sort of word. Even if at that very moment they sent a helicopter, which would be the fastest way, I think you were two hours away from a hospital, and that's being generous, probably two and a half. And thinking about how long it would take search and rescue... You know, like if search and rescue were to like hike up to you, we were to get you into a litter and take you down. I think you would have been eight hours from a hospital reasonably. Um, And so at that point, it sort of became clear um, that we had to start thinking about how to move you out of the backcountry ourselves with our group of six. Um, the other thing that became very clear, given just how hard it was for Pat and I, who were who at this point were kind of right next to you, just to stand on the slushy snow, and how hard it was for the other people, Alistair, Jamie, and Kristen, who were helping sort of organize gear at that point to get us um, mobile. Um, looking at how hard it was for us to move across terrain it became clear to me that the idea that we were going to sort of fashion some sort of carrying device for you and to carry you out of the backcountry across this terrain was going to um, not be good for you. And it certainly would have put us us at um, risk just for injuring ourselves trying to move you across this terrain. For sure. And so at that point, sort of my priority was... Let's see if Jonathan can start moving under his own power with some assistance out of the backcountry. Um, but before you did that, you did a you'd done a complete assessment. That's a, that seems like an, an important part. Yes. Um, so you know the assessment was as complete as you can do um, in the backcountry. So you know with moderate exposure, obviously you still had your jacket on and cut anything off of you. Um, it seemed to me that you did not have any neurological deficits that would make me concerned about your spinal cord being intact. Um, you were able to sort of move all your extremities. The question really was, at a certain sense, you could not tell me, as much as I would like a patient to tell me, that your spine didn't hurt or right. that you didn't have pain in your neck when I pushed on your neck because you couldn't even tell me what state we were in. Right. That being said, you were you were more sort of interactive with me. Like you would answer those kinds of questions, um, and so it came down to this judgment call, you know, which we can get into a little later, or in more depth about the risks of trying to stand you up and walking you, the risks of carrying you, and the risks of just sitting here. Yeah. Um, and so. You know, it is what it is. I felt like your neurological exam was benign enough that it was reasonable to have you walk if you could walk. Yeah. So that was the call. And was I, was I campaigning for that? Was I, what Uh, was I doing? You didn't want me to go for help. Yeah. What Um, was I saying? 
Uh, so I, when I first yelled up to those guys, I was like, hey, stay up top in case you need to go for help. And you were like, look, why are, we don't need to go for help. Or like, are we doing that? And I was like, just in case. And then I remember when I went for it, I think you, I thought you said something then too. I probably did. Yeah. Just to be snark. I don't remember that, by yeah. the way. No, I'm sure, you don't. I'm sure you don't. You were, you were pretty adamant throughout the whole process uh, of having as little outside help yeah. and cost, perhaps, uh, as was possible. Um, at this point, we were completely ignoring you, yeah. to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't really feel like you had the capacity to make those kinds of decisions. Yeah. Um, but but the decision to actually walk you was more of an insular decision about like what's best for the group, yourself included. You know, like what makes the most sense for this group of seven people, you included, to get all get out of the back country as safely as possible. Yeah. And so in that sense, there was a part in which the choice to have you try to stand up was uh, both a medical decision but also sort of a group. Dynamics decision as well, yeah. which is hard. But, and, but and it took part you, of it took you guys. I think Pat said twenty minutes to get him on his feet. Yeah. So um, you know, you hit the ground somewhere. You stopped moving probably somewhere around eleven twenty-seven. Yeah. Um, and we didn't get you onto your feet until probably twelve thirty, and I don't think we started to try to get you onto your feet until probably twelve oh five, something around that ballpark. Um, you know, at that point you were, you were still repeating yourself, but what you were repeating was that you were feeling better and better Yeah, and that you felt like you were going to be able to walk out of the back country. Yeah. And as far as you could tell, stable vital signs. Yeah. 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 And to be honest, you know, nothing that I could find on your exam was indicative that you were wrong in that assessment of yourself other than the fact that you hit your head really hard enough to make you repeat yourself. Yeah. And honestly, what I, I mean, I, you know, it felt like, it felt like I'd been jumped and been beaten senseless with baseball bats. Right. Like, so, but you know, like there's no question. And I, I said this, I think a couple times to you guys, um, you know, I played football and like, it kind of felt like a couple of the hardest hits or the hardest games I ever played in. And I mean, I was brutalized. And so, but like, that's what you do. You get the absolute shit kicked out of you and then you stand up and it's next play. And I think that's why I was advocating so hard to walk was a little bit of like, that's that's what you do. Like if you obviously feel a compound fracture, I would I wouldn't be like I can walk, you know, but like it was like I'm brutalized, but you know and, and I think the fact that it took me so long to even get up with the disposition of like of course you walk it off, of course you walk out. Well I couldn't do that for almost an hour from when I half an hour from when we sort of assessed you and decided that's what the course was going to be. Yeah. But a half, but an hour from the impact. Yeah. Probably. Which means to me, like, you know, like boxers, they get knocked out. They're scrambling to try to get up in seconds. It took me an hour. So can I ask sort of what, 
Alistair and Jamie, I think at this point, my re- my recollection of it is that you were helping Kristen kind of doing gear stuff and getting getting like the crew organized when sort of Pat and I were sort of dealing with the patient. You know, what are what are your experiences of this? Well, I didn't feel like I could add anything to um, just your medical assessment there. I mean, no training at all and felt kind of ridiculous just staring there and watching, you know. So I switched into a mode, all right, I got to be productive here. What can I do? Equipment down at the bottom. So Peter's equipment started moving that and at least started shuffling things uh, down the mountain. Uh, it was so much gear, like two pairs of boots, two backpacks, um, two pairs of skis that each of us had to carry down, and uh, at least initially. And so I knew that was going to take some time. The scree field was super loose, super just was not comfortable at all to, to walk on. And it was just, all right, let's get out of the scree field. And then we could really make some progress moving down the hill. So trying to get equipment just past that first barrier and uh, until you guys are mobile and then we can start worrying about all right, do we need additional help for Jonathan? And are we going to have to leave equipment here or just deal with it at that point? And, so, it, and at that point, sort of, you and I had a, Jamie and I had a powwow I, that I, I found was super helpful just to... Yeah, it, I was kind of panicked because truth be told, I mean, I've, you know, I've taken care of patients in a lot of emergent situations. There are people I don't really know as a very close friend and... I was kind of so panicked that I actually kind of was not thinking at the moment about something as simple as administering Advil to you because that, you know, you were asking for Advil and it was horrible to see you in pain. And you kept on asking, does somebody have Advil? Somebody please give me Advil. And um, Nate pulled me aside and said, no, you know, remember, like it's, if he has a brain bleed, it's going to promote brain bleeding. And I was, and that was my fear too at the time. And um, so I just... Yeah, and I think to see Nate so concerned really had me worried, um, you know, but I, yeah, I was confident at that point. I think we all had, you know, done a great job of communicating with one another and making a decision to leapfrog our equipment out and make sure, Jonathan, you had water and we were protecting you from the sun and things like that. And I just, I was really impressed with our group. So from my perspective, um, at this point, I had, I had climbed out of the basin that we were in. I'd run along the path that we came up. I kept asking people if they had cell signal. None of them did. Finally, I jumped in my truck. I drove down, and then I parked on the side of the road to see if I could see you guys. And we saw you. We saw you pull up. So what I saw was three people still at the accident site or close to it, and then three people descending. And that made me really, really scared because I thought, okay, three people are coming out to get more help, and Jonathan can't move. And that was like, that was about as bad as I've I felt, I just, I was like, I can't get help right now. I can't get contact. I'm going to have to drive to Aspen and it's just as bad as I think it is. So that was my, that was my frame of mind as you guys were leapfrogging gear. It was, it turns out much more innocuous than that, but that's what I was going through. (laughs) Well, I mean, and, and I, I want to bring up at this point, you know, like it's easy to talk about a lot of the medical decisions. Um, and it's easy to sort of, you know, like point out I think we did a lot of things really well um, but I think a lot of those really key decisions were group efforts you know like talking about sort of what medicines we should give or should not give Jonathan and 
whether we should give him water by mouth, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, like that was a collaborative effort, you know, like it's, it's so hard for any one person to make all those decisions, right. Like in a vacuum and alone, you know, like I think, I think going back to sort of the initial decision about going for help, I mean, um, you know, having, having that decision be made in a discourse between you and I, Peter Mm -hmm. was just super helpful. You know, I didn't feel like, I don't think at any process or any part of this process, I felt like alone as this sort of, hmm. that's awesome. You know, like I, I really leaned on, I mean, it was a group effort, hmm. you know, like just talking to you, like as a nurse, you know, like as a medical professional, like was so, so helpful in clarifying and sort of recentering at each part of the decision-making process in recentering, like what is the, what is the goal right now? What are the key things that we need to accomplish? It was funny too. I mean, as the like concussed guy that was completely fogged out, it was very evident to me, the coordination of, you know, Pat and Kristen and Alistair and you guys like shuttling gear, you know? Um, Because when we did make the decision that I was going to walk out, um, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't carrying my stuff and you and Pat, I, I was getting mad at you guys because you guys were like hands, like four inches from me in this, like, do not fall. And I'm like yelling at both of you, which turns out like there's a part of the story coming up that, that honestly is frankly, probably the most terrifying element given what we learned, um, what MRIs showed, um, and CAT scans, I was, well, we'll just say, I mean, we're going to, we'll get to this, um, we'll get to this in a bit, but what I, what we found out on Thursday, five days after the accident was I have a, an extremely unstable cervical spine. I had sprained or torn three ligaments at C6. So the idea of walking down, having been knocked out, and walking down a scree field and a boulder field in ski boots on an hour exit out of Independence Pass could have had an incredibly bad outcome. But what I'm proud of is you've already done a really good job of, of explaining why that was why that was the decision. I mean, this is gnarly. Like, you don't get to have the, like, this is the perfect clean decision that has, you know, super low risk. It was all high risk. You know, sitting around and waiting for eight hours when you guys weren't sure if I had 20 minutes. And, um... So... Do we want to talk about that walkout or the decision? I mean, what do we want to say about that other than I was getting real snarky with you in particular, Nate? Um, <laughs> it was delightful. <laughs> and I was like, damn it, like, let's walk faster. And, and uh, um, I mean, I think, I think the only thing that, that, that I would personally like to talk about with that walk... Um, was sort of the the inertia, like we'd made this decision and we were going to see it through, barring any changes. Um, 
you know, and I want to highlight, like, the amazing, like, help, you know, with moving all the other stuff and the support from, like, the rest of the crew. And then I think what was interesting about it was was sort of the end of the walk, the, the transition from wilderness medicine thinking to sort of front country medicine thinking. Um, but I think that might be for another day unless other people have sort of other thoughts about that walk. I mean, I think from my perspective, my head felt like it was getting, granted, we're talking from knocked out, you know, making zero sense. I felt like I was, the fog was getting lifted like the longer we walked, but I was in a lot of pain. And I remember, right, we, we I had, to, I sat down, I think at one point yeah. and was just like, dude, this is, this is, and it wasn't broken bone. It wasn't broken knee or hip. It was around the back. And I mean, I, it was a brutal, I mean, I think you guys have already described it well, but there was a lot of pain. Um, but I wasn't, we weren't worried. I wasn't worried. I mean, and that's the thing. Maybe I didn't say this well enough. What we know in hindsight is walking out on extremely uneven terrain with an unstable cervical spine if I had slipped or fallen, I mean, that, that could have been game over or I'm, I'm paralyzed right there. And so poor Nate and Pat, who maybe had a bit more of a sense of those stakes, um, which is why they were trying so hard to, they weren't, you know, they weren't holding, we weren't walking locked arm. We couldn't have. But it was like they just had hands up. Like if this guy falls, we're going to try to. But like, yeah, slipping in that terrain could have been, I don't know, Nate. Um, Life changing. Yeah. But by the time we hit the road, um, I was in a lot of pain, but the head was feeling a lot better. I, w- I, don't, I, I don't think that was, I was not 100%, which I don't think I was aware of that. But, um, you know. But there was an ambulance waiting there, and I saw two paramedics, right? They took me in the ambulance, and at that point, out of out of stubbornness, out of probably some sense of, like, I, I, I have been in a lot of instances. I've taken big hits in my life, and I've gotten up from them and, like, kept going and, like, ended up being fine. And so I was waving off the paramedics pretty hard, but they also assessed me. And effectively said, like, you know, this is your call. You you don't have to take this ambulance ride to the hospital. And again, it seems like bizarre. Like I was bizarrely against this. But I was like, I'm not taking this ambulance ride and I'm not going to your hospital right now. You know, I, you know, I was going to. I thought we were okay. I thought I was stable and I thought I could assess. Um, and I was obviously pretty stubborn about all of that. So I think we're going to try to wrap up and we're going to, there's another part of the story that I, that I really want to talk about again, because I think it really matters for other groups, you know, we, this, there are hopefully some things that you're going to consider when you're out and maybe you think twice and maybe you bring that helmet or you think about your exposure or you think about how far you are from help. Um, 
But if something does go seriously bad, as it did in this case, like this story isn't done. And we just had a hell of a Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And we're going to talk about some of that um, on another podcast. Um, But there are more heavy decisions and some consequences that we made Um, and to not leave this as a cliffhanger, I mean, again, um, five days after the accident, um, I did have an MRI and it was determined that I do have a severe instability at C6. So I'm, I am headed toward a surgery this Thursday, um, to fuse C6 and C7. Um, and all things considered, I think hopefully this has gone for a while, but you know, we've, we've told you what happened in detail and hopefully a lot of you feel the way I do and thinking you only have a fusion, a fusion here with a chance of, if the surgery goes okay, a chance of a 100% recovery, um, people are asking what my headspace is like right now. And I'm like, I'm just grateful, like super grateful. Um, so any last assessments about that day? I mean, what we, what we should have done differently could have, I've already mentioned a few things, but is there anything else to say before we wrap? Well, there was the bear incident. I was just oh my god, the bear. We all managed <laughs> to not get eaten by a mother bear. We didn't get eaten by a bear. So, so Chris, Kristen was Kristen was the first hiker to make it to the road. And there's a stream right before the road, and right before she crossed the stream, she saw a mama bear and two cubs. Yep. So even in an and emergency, and that was the moment I had lost her too, and I hike couldn't with see her anymore. Yeah, hike with a buddy. Do everything with a buddy. Scary. That would have been amazing if, like, I made it all the way down, hour hike out with, like, three, you know, blown ligaments at C6 and then get eaten by a bear. I mean, kind of cool, but sort of unfortunate, I guess, (laughs) if that would happen. Anything else before we we wrap? Um, I, you know, honestly, like, I don't really care what this podcast sounds like to people. I mean, like, we have not had a chance to kind of debrief ourselves on this and and I I mean I I do pray that this gets some people thinking a little differently uh maybe a bit more vigilantly about their own behavior um when they're out but um I I mean I appreciate you guys filling me in on some of the details of that day and uh I certainly appreciate the actions that each of you took that day um Yeah. Just glad it turned out like this. It was yeah. so dark for for a while. For a while there. Yep. Well and I, I think that we we all love the backcountry and we're we're part of a community that as a group loves the backcountry. Um but the backcountry has inherent risks and I think that when you care about the people not only in the group but in your community, that it's sort of beholden upon us like when you have an experience like this 
to try to share the lessons that we learned from this experience, yeah. you know, with the other people in our community. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'll just add that because I did make a joke about leaving my first aid kit at the car and I had mentioned something about listening to your um, Wilderness First Responder podcast that actually that morning before this happened and since I've spoken with Morgan Matthews who was on your Backcountry Safety podcast and I'm definitely taking the course and I think it should probably be a prerequisite for a lot of our friends and yeah. people that we enjoy the outdoors with. But I will yeah, absolutely that's, take that. That's something that I would say. That's my only medical training. And it was incredibly important. Um, not that I was really able to do anything or use any of those skills. but it, Or maybe I did. I don't know. Um, but it, was, it helped me focus. And that was, that was invaluable, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember, Alistair, that that day you were saying, too, like, I'm doing my wolfer. I'm getting my wolfer. I felt so helpless. Uh, I didn't know the first things to really go through on assessing where you are, what's safe to do with you. And that was just really, I just felt so helpless um, and kind of irresponsible at that point. Okay, then last thing, um, I'm looking into... Uh, which device I haven't decided, but um, because my experience with this was mostly frustration that I couldn't get help sooner, um, I'm, I think I'm likely going to start carrying some sort of uh, GPS, um, um, either a spot or a, a locator beacon or cell phone or something like that. Well, guys, um, thanks for keeping me alive on my birthday. And uh, we certainly made it a memorable one. And um, to see, you know, to hear and see and have experienced what you guys did um, in an extremely heavy situation, um, I'm I'm proud of you guys and uh, I'm I'm super grateful. So thank you. And uh, we will be talking more about some of this. Um, So... Stay tuned for that. Um, If we don't record the second part of that conversation before Thursday, then um, I will be talking to you on the other side of a surgery, um, which I hope goes well. Um, And uh, anyway, stay tuned. Thanks, guys. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. I want to say thanks to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob. And I want to send a special thank you to my friends who were there for me on the 9th and who have continued to be there for me since. To Pat and Kristen Sinnott, thank you. Kristen, I will happily dance for your music ski videos till the end of time. To my former roommate Alistair, I'm sorry that our apartment in Taos was littered with skis and dog hair and countless empty jars of sun-dried tomatoes. That was super weird, yet you never complained. You have a big heart, a heart that's almost as big as your beard. Thank you, Alistair. To Peter, thanks so much for being the runner on that day. Honestly, a person could hardly ask for anyone better to go run for help than an accomplished marathoner. So thanks for putting your talents into service that day. Thanks, Peter. And to Nate and Jamie, thank you so much for everything you did that day and all that you've done every day since. 
These two have sat in ER rooms with me, in neurosurgeon consultations with me, and they've already committed to watching all of Twin Peaks as I recover after the operation. Side note, Nate and Jamie often refer to me as their child. And see guys, if you ever do have kids of your own, they're going to be a piece of cake compared to dealing with me. So, you're welcome for that. And thanks to all of my other friends who have checked in to make sure that I'm okay and to ask how they could help. And to everyone who has written in, I am extremely grateful for all of you. I know how lucky I am to be alive, but I am even luckier to have such stellar friends and such understanding and supportive parents. So thanks to all of you and to everyone listening. Please take good care. <laughs>